Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. At booksandnachos.com, you can find over 100 reviews, from fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. There's also links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and information about our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. At booksandnachos.com, we're here to find you something great to read. Welcome, listeners, to Books and Nachos, where we'll be escaping once again from another city in the United States. This is Jake the Snake. And I'm Jason. And Jason, this is a big one, escaping from Cleveland, because that's a reference from Escape from L.A. I know you've watched these all recently. I'm just getting ready to sit down with them to record them for now playing, where we're going to be discussing the movies. But what do we know about Snake Plissken's Cleveland adventure? We know it's fun times in Cleveland again. Did you get those videos I sent you? Oh, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Cleveland because here's the thing is the joke escape from Cleveland like when they came up for that is the joke like it's Cleveland like it's you know New York dangerous LA dangerous gangs all that kind of stuff dangerous dangerous Cleveland don't they have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there like I associate Huey Lewis on the news with Cleveland Drew Carey with Cleveland as soon as I saw Cleveland in the title if you know the comedian Mike Polk he's from Ohio and about 10 11 years ago he made these viral videos search Cleveland tourism videos on YouTube and you'll crack up he made another one last summer they're hilarious i sent jacob these tourism videos just so he could have a laugh at him and then out of nowhere yesterday i was watching this old yakov smirnoff bit that he did at rodney dangerfield's club and he starts talking about cleveland again and i'm like people were making fun of cleveland all the way back in the 80s maybe major league is that why we all think cleveland's a joke because of the indians it could be the way yakov put it he's like my first stop in america in cleveland ohio they made me feel at home in cleveland so i had to escape again (laughs) (laughs) I make fun of Cleveland because everybody make fun of Cleveland. Every country has one city people make fun of. In Russia, we make fun of Cleveland. Smirnoff's actually pretty funny. I actually have an affinity for Cleveland because Harvey Picard, if you've seen American Splendor, like I love that comic book writer. That's where he's from. He wrote about Cleveland a lot. I'd like to visit there one day, but I do feel like it's the butt of a joke a lot of times. I mean, we've watched Howard the Duck, right? That Cleveland's a joke in that as well. That's the thing. I'm going to have to fight myself from calling it Cleveland through this whole podcast. So I guess that is the joke in an Escape from L.A. is that, oh, this Cleveland job, this Cleveland job. And you're like, come on, it's Cleveland. We'll see that Snake has a dog named Fresno in this. So I'm assuming he had an escape from Fresno at some point, too, which would be a similar joke. Like, I would get that because I'm from California and Fresno is a joke. But Cleveland... What do we know about Cleveland from Escape from L.A.? So to prepare for this volume, I had to travel into the future, Jacob, all the way to 2013. Whoa, that's even further than 1997. This is when John Carpenter's Escape from L.A. takes place. And that is where, as you mentioned, that we first heard that Snake Plissken pulled a job in Cleveland. Now, we are officially in the prequel for this volume four of the Escape from New York series by Boom Studios. So at various points in the Escape from L.A. movie, you're going to hear references. References, and I wrote them all down so we could try and pinpoint them here in this book. And Which I'll just preview my thoughts. I think you've done more work than the writer did by finding every reference in the movie. I'm going to take that compliment and I'm going to go with that. Yeah, no, it is a compliment. I think you're more knowledgeable than what we're going to discuss. We'll see if they play out. Go ahead. So at the beginning of Escape from L.A., when Snake shows up captured again, the Peter Jason character says, you know, I got to admit, I thought we had you in Cleveland, which makes me feel like, okay, so the United States police force were chasing him. They Maybe they had him trapped and Snake escaped because that's what he does. The next one, 
when Snake meets the Peter Fonda surfer character. I heard they busted your hump pretty good in Cleveland. <laughs> just, just a silly thing to say. All right. Later on, the main villain of the movie says Snake used to be a gunfighter and later tells him, you may have survived Cleveland. You may have escaped from New York, but this is LA. I'm saying it just like the character in the movie. Is that before Snake has to play basketball? That is before he does the basketball scene, yeah. And the most prominent references in the film are toward the end when he meets the Pam Greer character. Her name is Carjack Malone, but she goes by the name Hershey Lost Pomace. And this is where Snake says, you bolted. Wait, Pam Greer is Malone in the movie? It's not a dude, like in this comic? No, well, that's supposed to be the joke in Escape from LA because ha ha ha, sex change, big joke in the mid 90s. Ah, oh, okay. So Snake runs into this former accomplice and he says, you bolted on me back in Cleveland. And it was you and me and Texas Mike O'Shea. And Pam Greer character, who's now called Hershey Lost Pomace, she says, I made another deal in Cleveland. And later she says, Snake is a loser, always making things up along the way. That's why I left your ass back in Cleveland. So we watch Escape from LA and we get this idea that, oh, something must have happened in Cleveland. There must have been some big job and Pam Greer was a part of it. So you remember the prequel to John Carpenter's The Thing that came out in 2011, right? Yeah, we reviewed it on Now Playing. It's available on Podbean. We wanted to see if the filmmakers were going to be very faithful to the John Carpenter film because it's a prequel. Yeah, because in The Thing, they go to that Norwegian camp. It's burned out. There's that body there, slit the wrist, like an axe in the wall or in a door or something. And yeah, so it's like, we got to recreate this. We got to show how all this happened in that Thing prequel. So that's where I am at the start of Escape from Cleveland. If this book is supposed to be a prequel, then all of the things that are referenced in the movie, we should be reading them here in this book. So this is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting Snake to be hunted by the United States Police Force. I'm expecting him to get his hump busted pretty good. I'm expecting references to Snake being a gunfighter. And more than anything, I want to see this job that involves Carjack Malone and Texas Mike O'Shea. And again, just knowing the few references that there was this Cleveland job, I would probably think it was more like robbing the Federal Reserve in that cutscene from the movie, Escape from New York, that opens up in the novelization. I was thinking something more like that. It's another bank robbery type thing that went down in Cleveland. And then again, the joke is it's Cleveland. That doesn't compare to New York or LA, but that's the joke. This is going to go wildly different. Right. At the end of Escape to New York, volume three in this series, we saw Snake walk away, kind of throw away his own name, say Snake Plissken is dead. and Yeah, he's going by Bob Hellman now. Bob Hellman and his dog Fresno just living by themselves in a house in Cleveland. Here's a question for you, Jason, and for our listeners to keep in the back of their mind. Like, here's one of my big criticisms. How much of this stuff actually matters for the story of Escape from Cleveland? So we're going to open up Bob Hellman, Snake, living the normal life, just living in this little house with his dog. We're going to open up with a home invasion. Yes, the crew breaking into Snake Plissken's house, and they have no idea who they're messing with. Technical issue here. We've talked a lot about technical issues with this run of the Snake comics. Like, what's going on in this panel and that? This gang, I think they're trying to be very tough. And they're like, no mask this time. Like, we're going to go in. We're not going to hide who we are. Next panel, they have masks on as they're going in. 
(laughs) And so here's the thing. I talked about this artist. He's Croatian. And I know this has been an issue in other comics I read because with computers and the internet, you don't have to have Jack Kirby sitting in the studio drawing everything. You can be at home in your studio, email the artwork in. So I know there's all these great international artists except English isn't always their first language and they're working off an English script. And I remember seeing, I believe it was Philip Tan. He was doing some Batman comics at the time. I saw him at Comic-Con and he was like, oh yeah, I was uh, drawing a comic and I didn't know what a fedora was. It said he was, this character was wearing a fedora and I had to look up what a fedora was. So I don't know if this artist just didn't realize what he was reading in the script and just, you know, they're criminals. There's a home invasion. So I'm going to put masks on them anyway, even though they said they're doing this job without masks. You could probably, chalk it up to some sort of miscommunication. That's the only other way to explain it. Like literally the next panel, they have the mask on. So two pages into this thing, we've already got issues. Spoiler alert, it doesn't get any better. Oh, it's going to get a lot rougher. So you have these three people doing this break-in throughout this story when we finally do get whatever this plot is that Snake is going to have to escape from in Cleveland. There are three characters. There's Carjack Malone, there's Mike O'Shea, and then there's another character named Sadie. Why wouldn't you make these three home invasion criminals, those three characters, this is never going to get referenced again. You got to bring this whole thing back somehow. That's just Chekhov's home invasion. That's writing. That's how it works. You don't just have a scene and then it never shows up again. I completely agree. Well, unless you're reflecting the Carpenter movies, as we've discussed, there are characters in New York and LA that just show up for a minute and then they disappear like they didn't mean very much to the plot. But Jacob, you make a very good point about storytelling. You could tie this thing together so much easier if you introduce Snake's a accomplices in these first panels and then maybe snake recruits them later on i do want to pay a compliment for three books now i've been saying we need a little bit more of a setup to this story i've been asking for some form of narration inner monologue something that would take us from scene to scene help us understand what's going on and we get it right off the bat but it comes from snake talking to his dog the dog is the audience snake is filling us in on what's happened since new york Snake explains how he wound up in Cleveland. He fixed up a house to live in. We get a radio broadcast that tells us what the world is like. We are now living under a new president. This is no longer Donald Pleasance. This is now the Cliff Robertson president from Escape from L.A. And Jacob... Oh, I'm familiar with the president. It's the reason I thought there was a prison in New York is this very moralistic president, but that's really the L.A. president is when you get this very right-wing, probably Christian right type president who, yeah, very into pushing his moral agenda. Yeah, if we were going to compare it to a series now, it would probably be the New Founding Fathers in the Purge series. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's no Purge night, but this moral president has outlawed smoking, outlawed drinking, premarital sex, red meat. Dennis Leary would be very upset. He'd be going full demolition man in this. We could have used Dennis Leary underground in this book. Yes. (laughs) Why not have that be the army snake builds? I'm actually grateful that we get some setup instead of leaving us stranded like the past three volumes. But one... I really want is to see the impact of this new moral president on Snake Plissken and his lifestyle and the world around him. Because he does do a lot of smoking. Like, I feel like a lot of time is devoted to where he gets his cigarettes in this comic. Yeah, have that be some kind of commentary. Yeah, they show that he makes, like, moonshine in his basement and then trades it for cigarettes. Is that what he's doing? Yes, I believe that's what he's doing. Yeah, bootleg alcohol for bootleg cigarettes. Again, it's hard to understand. They don't show him making moonshine. They just show him emerging from his house one day with a couple of bottles in his hand and trading them off for cigarettes. So I guess I put the moonshine thing together in my head. 
it's always good when you're a reader and you kind of just have to make up the story as you go along. You do that a lot. Okay, we talked about like what matters here. We have this home invasion. Doesn't matter. Never going to get called back to. Then, so I guess what kicks off the plot is Eminent Domain. Like everyone loves action movies based around Eminent Domain, right? Oh, absolutely. The government wants to take Snake's house. He's got a house that's on acres and acres of land. And they want to take it, not because they know he's Snake Plissken. They still think he's Bob Hellman. Well, he's got a beard. Oh, that's there you go. Yeah, because someone with an eye patch, he's still wearing the same clothes that he wore in Escape from New York. Wait, not yet. Not yet. He's got to put the uniform on. Okay. <laughs> These two guys show up to claim eminent domain on his home to build. What, why? What do they want to build? They're building a plant. That's what they tell us. A rose bush? A nuclear plant? What kind of plant? Like, there are no details. Oh, I hate it. This is a serious issue. If you're living in a new moral America, you tie this into the plot. Hey, Snake, we need your house, eminent domain. We're going to build a prison. We're going to build a mega church. We're going to build a deportation center to send people to LA. That's what you do. You don't have them show up and just be vague and say, oh, we really got to build this plant, Snake. Here's a check for your place. It's twice what you paid for it. And he flips them off. He doesn't take it. He like attacks these guys with a pitchfork. You would think he'd be more concerned with just keeping up this quiet home life. And no, he's going to attack these government agents, like throw a pitchfork at them and start a war for seemingly no reason. Snake is always the one who starts it. That's the thing. Snake Plissken likes to start and then he'll walk away. Yeah, which kind of muddies his character for me. The, to be that disillusion that where you're forced to do this thing for the government, but you're going to give him the middle finger at the end. I think we could all get behind that, or most of us can. The fact that he's going to bring other quote-unquote soldiers, like homeless people off the street, that he's going to give guns to fight this battle, and then he just doesn't really care. He's going to walk away at the end. That is not a good character. That is not someone I want to follow around the country and watch him escaping different scenarios. Well, before we even get to that, we get to the scene where the cops come for Snake's house. And this is where he puts on the uniform because he can't get into action without putting on those gray camo pants and that- That black tank top? Yeah, that with the zippers that are on the shoulders. I think it looks cool. It's like that Michael Jackson jacket with all the zippers on it. I had a replica one. It was awesome because it just had lots of random zippers. At like seven years old when I had that jacket, it was the most awesome thing just because I had tons of random zippers. So Snake stops the cops who are trying to break into his house and kills them all. And then he snaps. It's that moment where Rambo says, you shouldn't have messed with me. I just wanted to be left alone. Except Snake's the one that started it. He should have just taken the money. Or he should have just said, I'll see you in court. It's going to take years to get through court. You keep appealing, take it up to the Supreme Court. You got a good another 10 years in that home, at least before it gets resolved. Let's talk about what he does, because I think we'll get a little bit of insight. Maybe, maybe there's a reason for the character of the cowboy. Snake is going to... It's going to go to Westworld. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, he's going to start a war with the U.S. government. So he's like, I got to build an army. I got to get some guns. So he goes to his neighbor who's miles away because, again, these are huge plots of land. And this neighbor just referred to as the cowboy. And again, we don't know much about him. He's wearing a duster, a cowboy hat. He's got a couple leg braces. So obviously this guy's got some kind of history behind him. I'm spending a lot of time on a character that doesn't matter, but there's a point to this. No, he's on there for two pages. He goes to this cowboy's property where the cowboy has built basically it's very uh, you're gonna earn your own way here like he takes in homeless people and they all gotta work and that's fine like people should work to earn a living i don't got a problem with that but it feels very tyrannical the way the cowboy is at 
first it seems like maybe a libertarian paradise, but there's undertones that maybe something more sinister is going on. But again, none of this really matters because we're going to leave very quickly. Snake actually goes in there like a friend. You think they know each other. You think they're going to catch up on old times. And Snake says, here's what I need. I need some guns. And the guy says, I need some soldiers. Snake says, no, I don't want to do that. And the guy's immediate reaction is, well, then we're going to have a gunfight in the street. Can I talk about something? Go ahead. Because we're talking about the cowboy, a big technical issue here. And I think I cracked the code on. Maybe everyone's the problem with this creative team, but I got a new villain to pin all this on. So there was a line that just brought me to a screeching halt from the cowboy. And usually typos, grammatical errors, you know, your brain corrects a lot of things. If you've ever seen these puzzles or whatever, where as long as a word has the same first and last letter of the traditional spelling, you can kind of mix the letters in between. You're still able to tell what the word is. And, and so when I read stuff, my if there's a typo or something, usually I just skim right over it. I don't even notice it because my brain corrects it. Maybe because I'm having such a hard time just with the flow of these comics, I actually caught a typo. I'm reading this digitally, which means it's been printed as a single. It's been printed as a graphic novel. Those files have been compiled to be digital and put up on a website where you could read it digitally. So they had a few chances to correct this. But the cowboy at one point says, what brings you my kingdom? No one's bringing the kingdom to Snake. It should be what brings you to my kingdom. And so maybe this is how it was in the script and the letterist just copied and pasted it from the script and put it in there. But there's an editor. I looked this up. There are two editors on this book. There was the regular editor when this was coming out in single editions. There was a trade paperback editor. And this still got through. And you know what? Editors should be catching things, not just typos. They should be catching things like, we're doing this without masks. And then the next panel, they have masks on. You tell the artist, you got to redo this stuff. And look, Boom is not DC. It is not Marvel. Maybe they don't have that kind of money to tell the artist, yeah, you got to redo these two pages because they're not supposed to be wearing masks, but they should be catching typos. I don't know. I'm going to put some blame now on the editor, maybe all the blame on the editors because they should really be catching this kind of stuff. And again, Boom is a smaller comic publisher, but you're putting out a product and asking money for it. I want it professional. That was really troubling when I found a typo this late in the game. In the single issue, it's not uncommon to find typos in single issues, but they always get corrected for the trade. You're not out of line for asking for this. What you're asking for is quality control. You're absolutely right. If you and I did our jobs and we did them poorly, people have a right to point out that you did a bad job. It's very frustrating. Like throughout, when we talk about the Bill of Rights, again, an editor should have looked up the size of the Bill of Rights like I did, 28 and a half by 28 and a quarter inches. It's not an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, but we'll get to that. What is the point of this cowboy scene though? None of it plays out. He basically gets a monster truck from the cowboy after he shoots him. And that monster truck just gets blown up a couple pages later anyway. Doesn't matter. No, none of it matters. The cowboy doesn't matter. And because you nailed it, I will just skip my rant about the dog magically showing up in the seat of the monster truck when Snake breaks out. There are so many examples. I don't want to start nitpicking this, but there are so many technical issues like this. The editor should have caught that is their job, is to find this stuff, go, nope. Again, I'm wondering, were there any thumbnail sketches of, hey, here's my initial layouts. There's a whole process and I just feel, oof. I try to look up the sales numbers. The first issue of Escape from New York, it started at like 15,000 copies, which isn't great. Not that sales of single comics have been great for a while, but 15,000 is pretty low. The last one I could find, it was around 3,000, and that was in the Escape to New York. I couldn't find numbers for this one, but I'm guessing numbers had fallen pretty low, and they're like, let's just finish this out, get it out, and move on. Then that to me sounds like they don't even care. That's how this one feels. Like, this volume especially feels that way. I was impressed with Escape to New York. There was opportunity 
movies, but I felt that was a pretty good story. I am shocked the quality of this one. As a finale, it's a terrible note to be going out on, but I gotta say, we're not even halfway through yet. Now that Snake is out of Westworld, we're gonna start getting into the plot, which is this Cleveland job. He's gonna recruit Carjack Malone. He's gonna recruit Texas Mike O'Shea. He's also gonna recruit a woman named Sadie, who was not mentioned in Escape from L.A., but she's actually the one who's gonna play a much bigger role in this story. Yeah, she's gonna become, like, the recipient. She's gonna inherit all of Snake's stuff in Cleveland once he leaves. Like, it's weird that, again, there's this character you never heard about, but I guess that's the prequel problem, is you want to try to tell a newer story, but you got all these little Easter eggs that you do gotta mention, or plot points that you gotta hit because they were mentioned later. No one ever heard of Sadie, but obviously they want another character here. You know what? This is what the book should have been. This whole book should have been the job, the story that leads into Escape from L.A. It's not impossible to tell this story. And we can rewrite it right here on the air. The three people that break into the house, as you mentioned, that should be Malone, O'Shea, and Sadie. Jacob, you talked in some previous episodes about decompressed comics. Once again, can you explain what that means? Yeah, I mean, decompressed comics, typically it's a way to make a comic feel more cinematic. You break those panels down to cover more minute spaces of time. In a comic that's very fast-paced, you usually have very specific actions from panel to panel. Decompressed, you might spend three panels watching a character just walk down some stairs. A recent example, I just finally got around to Tom King's Mr. Miracle series that he did a few years ago. Fantastic. Everyone should read that. It is a mastercraft in comics and decompressed ones where it knows when to go slower paced, but it doesn't feel slower paced like you are learning something something still in every panel. A lot of these escape ones, I just think they're messy now at this point. Like, it's not even that they don't know how to spend their time in the panels and they're just taking too much time. It's just messing all over the place. But yeah, that is a brief description of decompression. It's just when you want to take more time and really let the action sink in. And this is what I think that they should have done with this book. We should have had Snake and his accomplices here, a group of four. Snake's finally got a supporting cast. We should have zoomed in on these people, made it a little bit of a character piece, given them some backstory. You know, in Escape from LA, the minute that Pam Greer says something, Snake recognizes her as Carjack Malone. It's like they've known each other for five years. In this book, they know each other for five pages. If they had taken the time to give us real characters, I might have felt a little bit more connected to this story. Instead, the pacing is just the same as it has been in the previous three volumes. It just goes, it goes, it goes, and it doesn't let you take a breath. I feel like the thing with Carpenter is he never really has the budget to do what he wants, but he's got a pretty good idea of his characters. Like, sometimes they're a little thin, but they're a lot of fun, and so you just want to spend some scenes with them, and I think that's what you do. If you don't have this money to do these big special effects, at least you write some interesting characters. And again, they could be very pulp characters, but those are fun to be around. We talked about the pros in the novelization of Escape from New York, like how it was just so fun to have this hard-boiled, pulpy language. And I think Carpenter does that well because he doesn't have the budget for the action. Here, again, it's a comic. You got the budget for the action, but you don't have to do that. Yeah, have it be a character piece. Again, going back to that Mr. Miracle trade I just read recently, it's all about the new gods having PTSD and talking about child abuse like it is crazy it's all about human emotions and there's action going on in it but it's so riveting like just listening to these people talk about how they were screwed up as kids even though they're silly comic book characters like you really get into it so this escape from cleveland will give you neither you'll neither get exciting non-stop action or interesting characters 
No, and you won't get any originality either. We've seen the Man Against the World plot a million times, and the creators here, they can't help but rip off the same lines and the same plot points from the two movies. We've seen it in all four books now. And we're about to see it again as soon as Snake pulls together his gang. When Snake meets this supporting cast, we get our first reference to the movie where the character says, I thought he was taller. In Escape from L.A., that is the new I thought you were dead. They are just going to hit you over the head with it because there is no originality. The plan here is to rob the Federal Reserve. What is the plan? Because this is my take. This is Land of the Dead, basically. There's a big skyscraper, I guess, middle of downtown Cleveland that the 1% live in. And I also think the Federal Reserve uses, like they have the original Bill of Rights in there, or maybe those are different buildings. It's not clear to me, but Snake wants to raise an army of homeless people to just take over that building. And that's his big revenge plot. Yeah, it's revenge for making a generous offer on his land. What I took away from what little information they give is that there is a section of Cleveland that has been walled off to the 99%. And this section has the building from Land of the Dead, the skyscraper. It has the Federal Reserve and it has like some museums. His plan is to go in there once again, rob the Federal Reserve. A villain character even says robbing the Fed matches his usual MO. Do the creators know how dumb that makes Snake look? That he keeps planning the same heist over and over? I get it that a bank robber is a bank robber and there are many kinds of banks and many different ways to rob a bank. Is Snake Plissken known as the Federal Reserve guy? Yeah, when I talked about how I want a TV series or a cartoon series where he's just escaping from every city in the country or around the world, every major state or city, I don't want him just robbing a bank every time and he gets caught and thrown in a jail like in Phoenix, Arizona. Like, I do want some kind of expansion of the character. Because, again, this is because they want to build a plant, whatever that means, on his land. And so I don't understand how robbing the Federal Reserve is going to make sure he could stay in his home. Or has he just snapped? Like you said, Rambo, like I try to stay to myself and they wouldn't leave me alone. So I just I'm going to snap and get revenge. I don't know to me. It should be this is how I'm going to make sure I get to stay on my land. But that's not what his plan seems to be about. No, his plan is to rob a few hundred million greenbacks from the reserve. And real quick, I'm going to nitpick something in a from LA, they set it up that there are two forms of money. There's greenbacks, which are worth less than bluebacks. There's new money. Yeah, there's new money. But Snake's plan in this book is to rob the old money. It doesn't make any damn sense. All right, so Snake wants to bust into this section of Cleveland that belongs to the one percenters. The plan is to walk right in, disguised as homeless people, because that won't draw attention from rich people. Didn't we see a scene earlier, and again, it's very unclear. I can't emphasize how unclear these comics have been enough. But we do see like a homeless person wander past a line in the asphalt and get shot, and Snake's just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's supposed to show that Snake's given up the fight. He doesn't want to get involved. He wants to be left alone. Yeah, and my point is, they're just going to do that, though. They're just going to dress as homeless people and walk across the line like they saw someone do who got beat up for it. This seems like a bad plan. Put on a monocle, a top hat, try to infiltrate undercover. When you say monocle, top hat, and undercover, all I could think about is Guy Incognito on The Simpsons and Homer's reaction. That dog has a puffy tail! <laughs> I, I'm sorry, can we, can we just dwell a little bit? Like Snake, he's got to put the monocle on the eye patch eye. Like, I want that in a movie now. <laughs> no, he puts sunglasses on to pull off this little sneak in, because he's so sneaky. <laughs> All right, let's just follow the plan here. They walk right in, disguised as the homeless people. They immediately draw the attention of the police that have put up blockade around this 1% neighborhood. They kill those cops. They set off a bunch of grenades that they call a diversion. Everybody just saw you kill all the cops. There's no diversion. 
And it's not like they set off these grenades three blocks away. I think they set them off and then they run around the corner. There's no stealth here. This is a suicide mission led by morons. It's no wonder Snake is always caught. They break into this vault. They steal the greenbacks, which are not worth as much as the bluebacks. And then Snake gets his hand on the Bill of Rights. A copy of it because it is not eight and a half by 11. Like I've seen it or the replica, whatever they have in the Smithsonian. I don't think it's the actual one, but it's a large piece of paper. And look, if you're from Croatia, I get it. United States history is not on the forefront of your mind, but in a comic being sold mostly to Americans, talking about an American document, historical document, got to get it right. But no, it's a little piece of paper. And yeah, they've moved everything out of Washington because Washington, I don't know, something happened there and they had to move everything. So in Cleveland, you have the Bill of Rights. Another thing I don't get, why is this so important, especially under this president who's willing to seemingly uh, go against the Bill of Rights, like First Amendment, like I don't think there's a whole lot of freedom of religion. He has a very specific religious view. But the the fact that this is going to be basically the hostage Snake is able to hold for the rest of the story to keep the United States police force at bay most of the time, I need it explained why, because it doesn't make sense to me why they care so much about a piece of paper. The Bill of Rights shouldn't even exist in this comic continuity. Okay, this moral president would have set fire to the Bill of Rights years ago. It's established in Escape from L.A. that this president has been in power with a lifetime appointment since 2000. So we're already more than a dozen years in. It's also established that they moved the capital of the United States from Washington to Lynchburg, Virginia. So I don't know what this stuff is doing here in Cleveland. I mean, maybe putting it in Cleveland is the same as setting fire to it. And by the way, I'm always going to be calling it Cleveland. I've been doing it for most of the show now. I'm not changing. Cleveland. That thing's also very brittle, and he's just like rolling it up and sticking it in his back pocket. But what's important here is this is the part where Carjack Malone splits on Snake. In the movie, Pam Greer explains, I made another deal. And in this book, the deal is two panels of Malone walking out of the Federal Reserve, walking up to a police officer, and literally pointing back and saying, Snake Plissken's in there. Yeah, when I saw that, I'm like, and he lets Carjack Malone live and escape from LA? Like, you betrayed him. He sold him out to the cops. Like, instant gunshot to the head, right? Right. But I'm here, I'm going to pay a compliment. I'm going to remove the compliment immediately. <laughs> Throughout these books, it's like the creators are making choices to go against formula. They don't want you and I to be able to predict what's going to happen next, okay? But then the decisions that they make are always the wrong choices. You and I have been kind of rewriting these books as we've been going through these reviews. We say, why wouldn't they do this? Why wouldn't they do that? With Carjack Malone, why isn't this guy a bigger character? Why can't we see that he's been working with the cops the whole time? Or maybe he got busted before the job, had to flip on Snake. Maybe Snake and him butt heads for a lot longer than one panel and you have these two alphas and Carjack ends up betraying them because he's so jealous of Snake. I mean, you set up this whole thing with Westworld with the cowboy. Yeah, have Malone. Maybe he teams up with the people who took over that area once the cowboy was shot and that's the better deal i don't know you set up things in the beginning they gotta pay out later maybe the the twist that i'm describing here could have felt formulaic but the creators didn't even bother to you know what A, a good basic formula is better than a bad i'm gonna subvert expectations i i feel like we could get into a discussion of the last jedi that's the debate there like do you want a comfortable but good formula or when you said last jedi it's like the light bulb went off in my head that is exactly what we're talking about 
Subverting expectations is a great thing. I love when movies do that, but it's got to be good. And if you're just doing it to go, bet you couldn't see that coming because who would think of a plot point? That's stupid. That's a bad subversion of expectations. And that's what I feel like this is doing. When it does subvert expectations, it's bad. It's the wrong way to do it. So Carjack Malone sells him out. Doesn't seem to cause any problems. Especially because they see Carjack on a monitor selling them out. Like it's not a surprise. Now Snake has to escape from the building, and Snake is the master of escaping a situation. So this is where it should get interesting, but not really. They just get away in an armored car. Jacob, this is my favorite stupid scene in this book. They're driving up the ramps of a parking garage. Snake takes out a knife, and I mean like a crocodile Dundee knife. Yes, okay, I know where you're going. (laughs) And he says, hey, take the corners gently. I'll be back. The next panel, he comes back. He shaved off his beard in the middle of the getaway. And I don't even know why he has to shave. He could just have a beard. Not going to complain about that. He's already got the same clothes. Why does he got to look exactly the same as he does in every one of these stories? I'll tell you why. Because in the next page, Snake stands out the back of the armored car in his old uniform with his eye patch, and all the cops following see this one guy that they haven't seen in, it's been what, 14 years since the last volume? Immediately they're like, that's Snake Plissken. If he had kept the beard, it would have just been old bearded man with an eye patch. Oh, who the hell is, I can't tell who that guy is. Who's that guy? Yeah, who else wearing a black tank top and some gray striped camo pants and has an eye patch and hates the government? Who else could it be? Come on. You don't have to stick to the, because Snake Plissken doesn't have a costume like the X-Men. He's got a pair of pants and a shirt, and that became his outfit. And because we have so little Snake Plissken media, they never change his clothes. Again, there's nothing interesting about these three characters that he's going to team up with, Malone, Mike, and Sadie. Like, they'll have discussions, and they all feel like some shade of Snake. Or at least Sadie does. Like, why are you in this? Oh, we're just anarchists. We just want something to do. You could do something interesting with that, but they don't. No. In fact, what they do, they get away from the cops. They talk about how they're going to split their money. Snake says, I'm going to burn it, then shove it down their throats. Like, my eyes are rolling at this dialogue. It's not like Carpenter's Escape from New York script was going to win any awards, but this isn't even on that level. I really shouldn't even be comparing the two. Anyway, now the cops attract them to their hideout. And we're going to go from poor scripting to poor visual storytelling. You're going to have the scene where the United States police force, they're going to enter in and then whatever. We don't know what happens. We just see it from the outside of the house where all the police force are being like thrown out or an explosion's going off and they're jumping through the window to escape Snake. Now, let me explain comedy because nothing is better than explaining how jokes work. Like that's always the best way to make a joke super funny, but I'm going to have to do it because they don't understand how to do that in this comic. When you do this kind of scene, okay, one panel. You set it up. The cops are going to break in. Second panel, you have to see the cops go into the house. Third panel, all the cops come out of the house. That juxtaposition between them going in and then right away all like being thrown out of the house. That is funny. Seeing them stand next to the house and then the next panel is them being thrown out of the house. You missed a line there. Your punchline's not going to hit as hard because you missed an essential setup. Again, it's about pacing. It works for jokes. It works for comics, movies, stories. Pacing is an important thing. The way you lay your panels out. I know there are artists. Stan Sakai, if you ever read Usagi Ojimbo, a comic about anthropomorphic animals in feudal Japan doing samurai stuff. It sounds stupid. There's never been a bad issue of this comic and it's been going since the 80s, 30 plus years. No, Usagi Ojimbo. He's the rabbit from Ninja Turtles, right? Yes, he's the rabbit. Yeah, he did cross over with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at one time. 
Stan Sakai, he is such a master of pacing his comics. I swear, you read those, it feels like panel to panel, you're almost getting motion. Like, I think you could probably cut up certain panels and make a flip book, and you get a pretty smooth motion because he understands pacing and action. This is all a craft, and I guess what I'm saying is we are seeing people that are at the early stages of the comic book storytelling craft. Like, this is stuff that should not be in a pretty, you know, I think Escape from New York is a pretty high-profile property. It's got a huge cult following, at least. I think cult movies and comic books, you put that Venn diagram, there's a lot of intersection with that crowd. So I I would think you'd want to put more craft into this. And so, yes, these might sound like little minor things, but when you have so many of them, they continually take me out. I'm like, oh, you don't even understand the timing of how to do this joke about the cops rushing in and then immediately getting tossed out of the house. You're right. This is not a throwaway comic of just, hey, some comic company is introducing a new character named Snake Plissken. The people who read these comics are devoted and they have to be devoted fans of Escape from New York and Escape from LA. So you want to do the storytelling right. You don't want it to feel like you're missing panels throughout the book. Panels that would have explained to you what's going on or what a character's motivations are. So they get away from the cops again. And now Sadie wants Snake to join a revolution against the one percenters in Cleveland. Snake says he's done sticking his head out front, but he's still going to go along with it. Snake, why are you going to risk your neck, he asks Sadie, to which she says, bored? Seems like something to do. And Snake says, same reason. I mean, which could be some kind of commentary on civil unrest and you could do something with that, but nothing's going to be done here. Really where I thought this was going, once this revolution in Cleveland starts, I got a Dark Knight Rises vibe. <laughs> like when Bane takes over the city and the one percenters are pulled out of their houses. And No, you you hit it. They are ripping off Dark Knight Rises. His army loots the one percenters home like Bane's army. It's the smallest little revolution that they'll ever show in comics. We see homeless people like put Putting guns to these rich people's heads. And I thought maybe this is going to go very violent. It's a very French revolution. Let's just start cutting off everyone's heads that are rich because we want to be in charge now. And and it's just as bad as when the rich were running things. I thought we were going to get something like that that would really disillusion Snake. Like, I got to get out of Cleveland because I started this, you know, to fight the government. And now this new thing, just like the cowboy. Again, I'm trying to find a way that the cowboy is relevant, but it's never called back. Like, these new quote-unquote utopias actually end up becoming dis dystopias and I thought maybe that would be a revelation nope it's just gonna be a big old fight with the United States police force throughout the rest of the comic and Snake even says to these people you're anarchists and Sadie goes no that's too much commitment feels like homework we're just troublemakers this is really lazy you got to give these characters some reason I mean even okay we know what happens to Malone he betrays him Texas Mike O'Shea what's his outcome he just gets shot in the head No, it's funnier than that, Jacob. It's funnier than that. They take over this one street in Cleveland. Texas Mike O'Shea says, we've won, Snake. We took back Cleveland. What do we do now? Bang. Yeah, you got to laugh or you got to cry. It's so bad and cliche in the wrong ways and just not exciting, not fulfilling. Again, this does feel like not anarchists. Like, anarchists do have a purpose behind their chaos. This does feel like nihilist. Like, we just want to watch stuff burn. We really don't care about anything. And that... Again, that's a black mark on Snake. That's a bad thing. You you could have that disillusioned character, but he's always got to stand for something better. If you're standing against the system, yeah, the system's wrong. I'm going to expose it. I'm going to switch those tapes to show the president that he can't just threaten some kind of uh, war with China and Russia. You got to have some kind of ideals behind the character. And I feel like there's no ideals behind anyone in this comic. If we watched Dark Knight Rises and Bane didn't have that bomb that was going to go off, what would have been the outcome? Bane stays with his army in Gotham forever and they just hang around? 
Because that seems to be Snake's plan. Yeah, I don't know what his plan is. It's very frustrating. And, and the fact that we're just going to move on to this whole hostage situation with the mayor of Cleveland who's sent in to get the Bill of Rights. Because remember that? That's still super important. What does Snake do? He like sticks it in the nozzle of a blowtorch or something, threatening to set it on fire. Yeah, let's get there real quick. They start this revolution. The cops show up and Sadie says, we're right where they wanted us, inside their noose. You just invaded the neighborhood. You didn't expect the cops to show up? Yeah, it's not like they knew ahead of time what Snake's plan was and set up some big trap. They've already had a gunfight in the middle of the street. It is literally a row of revolutionaries standing side by side, like they do in the American Revolution when all the soldiers line up on the battlefield. Yeah, when you had muskets that were very bad with their trajectory, so you could stand five feet apart and shoot at each other and probably live. Right. The cops show up, they park on the other side of the street, and they just open fire. All of Snake's people are getting gunned down, standing in the middle of the street, not hiding for cover. He runs for cover and then he threatens to torch the Bill of Rights and the mayor of Cleveland shows up. Snake's ready to bail. By the way we haven't mentioned the fact that Snake's like I'm ready to get out of here. I'm done with this revolution. Yeah he starts a war and then he's just gonna leave. Again what does this have to do with that house that he wanted to keep so bad? Like when I was five and I'd write stories it would just be like here's this scene. Oh and then here's a new idea. I'm gonna write this. I remember my dad reading one of my stories like you gotta make this stuff connect somehow because it's just random vignettes of like I would write my Star Wars fan fiction at five years old and it's like, oh, here's a little thing with some Ewoks and now we're on the Death Star with the Emperor. Like, nothing would connect and that's what I feel this is. And this writer, this team, they're not five years old anymore. I wish your dad would have been here to fix this crap. (laughs) I mean, my dad, he was a writer. He was trying to help me understand the, the rules. The mayor comes in. He's like, you're a menace, Pliskin. The least inspired dialogue I've ever read. Uh, Yeah, the the fact that the mayor is going to be like a nerd, like none of this feels inspired. Like he's got the big Coke bottle glasses and just kind of a skinny dork. The mayor says the United States police force will grind Snake's army to dust, to which he replies, they only wanted what I wanted, to be left alone. I have a life to live. They have a life to live. This is a John Rambo speech. He's merged the speeches from the end of First Blood and First Blood Part 2. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like as silly as First Blood Part 2 is, that's a better story than this one. Again, there's coherent storytelling and actions from the beginning play out. Like Martin Cove, there will be a consequence for his actions at the beginning of that film. Like here, they they can't even pull that off. So we get Snake taking the mayor hostage again, putting him in a United States police force, like armored car. They're trying to blow Snake up, but they don't want to also harm the Bill of Rights, which seems weird. And then, oh, hilariously, he says he's ready to die in battle now. He chastises the cops for not being able to kill him. All of a sudden now Snake's ready to die. This is supposed to be a big character moment in a book that we've been laughing at the whole time. So it's very, very hard to kind of settle down and be serious for a second. There's a helicopter hovering nearby. Follow me if you can on the panels. Snake sets fire to the Bill of Rights, tosses it over the bridge. It hits the water and then the helicopter blows up. Well, the water starts on fire and there is one line, I think by Sadie, where she says the Cleveland River starts on fire every six months because I guess it's so polluted or something. So yes, that's how I took it. He throws the Bill of Rights on fire. This polluted river goes up in flames and it somehow catches the helicopter and blows it up. I'm sorry. You got to have Snake say to the mayor or something like, hey, 
mayor. You ever see what happens when a fire touches a river on fire? Yeah. Did you ever think of cleaning up your polluted city? Something like that. (laughs) Something like that. But you know what? I suppose it's fitting to have one last incomprehensible action sequence. Snake gets away, goes back to the house. So basically, so what happens? They just blow up Snake's house anyway, and he leaves. Like, nothing accomplished. The house that Snake started this whole war over, he blows it up himself. He leaves all the soldiers fighting in Cleveland under Sadie's command? Yes, she gives her the house, or I guess the money and the guns underneath the house? Right, he says there's a lockbox in the garden with a ton of money stashed inside. Like, why didn't he just take the money and leave to begin with? Obviously, the house didn't mean that much to him, but that's what Snake does. He just walks away. This is what we've seen in all of these books. This is what he did at the end of Escape from New York, so they just took that concept and they ran with it. Yeah, except in Escape from New York, it makes sense with his character that he's this soldier, disillusioned, doesn't want to fight, is forced to go save this president he hates, screws him over, and then walks away. Like, I could get that. This just seems like an angry old man, someone in the tea party, someone, like, he would protest he has to wear a mask to Trader Joe's. Like, he just seems like a grumpy old man at this point. And it's just, I don't like this character. I don't like this comic. It's just a lot of explosions. Michael Bay would have actually made this look good, at least. (laughs) The story would have been just as nonsensical if it was a film, but at least it would have looked good. This one doesn't look good. It doesn't flow good. I don't like Snake by the end of this. Well, knowing Michael Bay's penchant for like Americana and that kind of imagery. It would have been pro-United States police force. Possibly, or he would have made Snake the last patriot in the whole country kind of a thing. And I do kind of feel like that is maybe a hangover from the 70s is that, yeah, a patriot could be someone that criticizes their country. Again, you think about these Vietnam vets that came back with our Tom Cruise retrospective. We talked about Born on the Fourth of July and you got that story arc, the guy that's pro-America goes to war, gets injured, becomes disillusioned, and kind of becomes a pacifist. And I don't think I want Snake becoming a pacifist. But again, there is this idea like that you could be a patriot and still criticize your country. I don't know if you could do that under Trump's America, but at one point you could do that. And I feel like Snake comes from that tradition. And yeah, play that up at least. They missed their shot with a lot of this. But we get one little epilogue. Snake goes to New Vegas, Thailand. Oh, it's Thailand? Yeah. At the beginning of Escape from LA, they say they caught Snake in New Vegas, Thailand. Land, U.S. territory. Oh, I did not get that. I don't remember that line. I just thought this was Las Vegas and now it's New Vegas. I guess that makes sense. Whenever you put new in front of a city, it's got to be in a different country usually. But is, is he Mike Myers? Like, is this a Halloween crossover? This was the weirdest reference I saw thrown out when he's in Vegas playing this. It's not like paintball. It's paintball, but with real guns. No, this must be where the gunfighting thing comes in. He's been fighting under the nickname The Shape and he's been wearing a mask. I wanted to see the Mike Myers mask mask on him. They say he's taking off the mask for tonight. And then they introduce him as Snake Plissken. And everybody knows who he is. And the crowd goes wild. And Snake goes into the gunfight. And the U.S. police force is closing in. And that is it. That is the final chapter before he's reintroduced in Escape from L.A. I wish we got a panel where he's just straight up Michael Myers, like stabbing people with the blue jumpsuit and the mask and takes it off. And it's Snake under there. That would have been at least amusing to me. Like, I, it would have been stupid, but it would have been funny stupid. And I would have actually preferred funny stupid. And after this, I think I want Funny Stupid. Well, we are going to go into Jack Burton territory with Big Trouble in Little China. We might get Funny Stupid. I expect that. But let's wrap it up with this Escape from New York series. These four volumes. Jason, would you recommend Escape from Cleveland? I got to ask it. I know where this is going. And what are your overall thoughts? Would you recommend any of these volumes? I think I've finally been able to put into words my real problem. I think the concept was bigger than the character. 
The idea of this future in which New York and LA are walled off from the rest of America, the country's under the boot of an oppressive police force and a moral president, all of that is far more interesting than Snake Plissken. You take Snake Plissken's eye patch off, and you probably wouldn't have gotten a sequel. It would have been just a John Carpenter movie about a guy who breaks into a prison, da 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 da. The fact that you give him an eye patch, you give him some sort of identity and some mystery, that made him cool, and that made us want to see more of him. But because these books show that Snake is nothing more than a bad attitude, the series just runs out of steam really fast. Jacob, you remember the movie Speed. Yep. <laughs> Keanu Reeves has to stop the bus from going over 50 miles an hour. But at the end of the movie, nobody is saying, oh my God, we got to get another Jack Traven adventure. The concept is what drew people in. Yeah, I know Keanu doesn't come back for Speed 2 cruise control on a yacht or whatever. Yeah, Fox wanted another Speed, but you see what happened. They just replaced a bus with the boat. If you're going to go further with the adventures of Snake Plissken, you need to dig deeper. You got to develop the character, yeah. Exactly. We got some great character development in that novelization. The blueprint was right there. All they had to do was pick up the ball and run with it. You got to understand the motivations of this character, how the world affects him, the morality police, the new president. Why isn't this about Snake being hunted by the government because of his immorality? Instead, the enemy of this book is just Snake sticking it to the man. He's knocking over the Federal Reserve. He starts the one-block revolution. It's not waging war. It's just Snake raging against the machine. And he's not even fully committed to it. He just does it so he can leave and be left alone. After starting the revolution, he immediately is ready to bail on his own army. There's no end game. You can rage against the machine all you want, but the story would make more sense if you gave Snake a target, like when they blew up all the credit card companies at the end of Fight Club, okay? You know why they're doing it. You would have to know why Snake's doing it. What would it mean if he actually did burn the Bill of Rights? I don't want to offend any very extremely patriotic listeners to our show, but if the Bill of Rights burned, it would still, you know, that would be bad. That's an artifact. That, that would be sad like Nicolas Cage would have nothing to steal in National Treasure 3 but we still have the Bill of Rights it's not dependent on a piece of paper I understand your point there the Bill of Rights is so much bigger than a piece of paper and I think that's what we're supposed to take away there that ooh Snake is going to destroy the very fabric of America but he's really not the fabric's already been affected by this president Escape from LA gives a blueprint that should have been easy to follow. Snake, Carjack Malone, Texas Mike O'Shea, pull a job. This is a wasted opportunity to do some deeper storytelling. Every volume in the series had been getting slightly better. They botched the ending of Escape to New York, and now I feel that they completely dragged it down. The worst part about all of this is it doesn't do anything to make me like Snake Plissken more. It's a classic case, careful what you wish for. You want more Snake Plissken? Yeah, he's on every page of one of these books. Do you want more Snake Plissken? Do you want to understand why he's cool? What motivates him? You're out of luck here. The books have convinced me there's nothing under the surface. There are a million Snake Plissken's in movies and comics. There are characters who are cool just because they're mysterious. Spike, Gambit, Boba Fett. Yeah, I was going to say he's a Boba Fett. I know I just named a bunch of supporting characters, but Snake has so little dialogue in the movies, I think the analogy applies. And this is a risk that you take when you try to expand on these characters. You're either successful and the breakout character becomes a star, or you end up making them less cool because there was never anything under the surface. And I think that's what we learned about Snake here. They don't really pull from the novelization. So what we see is a character, Snake, is cool enough for an adventure in New York and a semi-remake in L.A., but you're going to need to give me more in order to create a compelling comic storyline. They don't even give Snake a skill. Again, Snake is supposed to be a master escape artist. Show us how. Everybody knows Snake's name? Why? What makes him special besides the eye patch? Four books, and I've never understood what Snake brings to the table that other anti-heroes don't. 
There was a line at the beginning of Escape from L.A. where one character says, he looks so retro, 20th century. It's supposed to be a joke because the movie's released in the 20th century, but like a lot of 80s and 90s action heroes, Snake is analog. You know, someone like me will pick up this book because I watched these movies as a kid and I liked Snake Plissken, but I'm grown up now like a whole generation of Snake Plissken fans. It's a new world with new problems, new anxieties that you can tap into. Why are you giving us more of the same? The creators have boxed themselves in by sticking to Carpenter's version of Snake and sticking to the Escape title for all of these books. Keanu Reeves never did the Jack Traven thing again because there was nothing for that character to do. He would have been just another cop trapped in a situation where the bus or the boat or the plane or whatever was out of control and he had to stop it. It's a diehard problem or the speed problem. The concept can be cool for a movie, but if you're going to keep making more, you need to develop the character. Look at John Wick. Look at the world that they built for him. If you're going to bring Snake Plissken back in any medium, comics, films, whatever, the character has to evolve because the John Wicks of the world are better characters. They can take Snake out like that. But again, this is the risk you take when the concept is bigger than the character. But this series is over. They miss her mark. I'm ready to leave it behind. Let me ask you this, Jason. Do you think any of these volumes are worth reading, like just as a fun alternate tale of Snake Plissken that you're not going to see in the movies? Do you think any of them work on that level, like where they could just be a fun diversion, escape from the horrible reality that we're living in 2020? I don't think there's any escape from the horrible reality, but we did get a proper sequel to Escape from New York, and that was Escape to New York. That's a proper sequel. I think if you wanted to have fun, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you have to go to Florida. Yeah, which felt so average when we reviewed it and looking back, uh, yeah, not that bad now. (laughs) I'm longing for Florida here. If I have to rank this, I'm going to say Escape to New York is the best of them. It's not an A, but it's the best. Then I would go Siberia. Then I would go Florida and I would put Cleveland at the bottom. And I get what you're saying, Jason. I feel bad because you are such a fan of these films. And now it feels like, oh, I hate Snake. I never want to see him again. And I'm going to blame the creative team on that. I don't think there's a problem inherently with Snake Plissken. Like you said, John Wick, he could definitely be a John Wick type character. When I said I want to TV show something and, and see him escape, Idaho Falls, Idaho. It's not because Snake is so cool. I want the satire, you know, make fun of the city that it's taking place in. This situation, again, with this moral president. Yeah, you could have a lot of fun commentary. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, Carpenter, he could go kind of broad sometimes with what he thinks uh, about certain politicians and that. But that's kind of the fun of it. And that's, again, why I like those Judge Dredd comics. Judge Dredd is always the same, but you're going to have crazy stuff going on in those comics. Just that world is fun to be in. Here, Snake's not fun to be around by the end, and this world, I don't know, I don't really know that much about it, except it it seems like a pretty awful place to live, but I don't get any of that satire, that fun, all of this feels very perfunctionary, like, it's just like, oh, we gotta write a comic, here you go, like, I just, here's my first draft, let's run with it, especially with this escape from Cleveland, amongst all the technical issues I had with it, just the story, the way it's told, what Snake does, It's damaging to his character. I think it will make you actively dislike him, which that's not what you want to do with your protagonist. You want to like Snake because he is Boba Fett. Boba Fett is cool. He's got a jetpack and a laser gun and that cool helmet and Wookiee scalps on his armor. Like, it's a real monkey's paw. Like, it always goes wrong when we do expand on these characters that don't have a lot of development. We really see that here in this volume. It is just a mess of a story that, uh, yeah, we've talked about it. You've heard us talk about it. Don't read it. I would say 
say there's only one volume if you're a big Escape fan. The, the one to read is Escape to New York because, yeah, I think you'll get most of the politics going on, the situation around the world from the little snippets in there. That's the most fun, even though there are opportunities there. But that was my shock. I'm like, oh, Florida wasn't that bad. It seems pretty pointless, but it's just not bad like Cleveland is. This is very disappointing. This is like walking out of the Phantom Menace and going, no, no, it really was good. Trying to convince yourself, but no, maybe it wasn't that great. You know, originally I said, oh, yeah, that Florida thing, that's like a B minus a C plus. Uh, Well, no, I I think the best one, Escape to New York, is maybe a B. And it just goes down from there into C territory. And then, yeah, by the time you get to Cleveland, it's a D. Yes, skip this one. But we're going to a crazy place next week. Yes, and I'm genuinely excited for next week. Snake is coming back. And so is Jack Burton. That's right. The protagonist of John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, he got his own series from Boom Studios. He's coming back. Snake is going to join him on an adventure. And I'm thinking, Jacob, that I don't have to take it seriously for a second. I'm just going to have some fun with it. Nope, I'm expecting lots of magic and fun. That's my hope, at least. So until next week... There is no escape from Books and Nachos. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. You can also find many more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Books and Nachos is a crowdsourced podcast with no sponsors or ads. You can support our show by pledging to our Podbean campaign at booksandnachos.com slash support. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, provided by podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, all rights reserved, and no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated.